Hi everyone, this is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. I'm delighted to have with us on our Educators Podcast, Dr. Nanette Miner, who's the Director of The Training Doctor, and also on the Forbes Coaches Council. Welcome, Dr. Nanette. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for inviting me. Fantastic to have you here. Why don't you tell us what you do as part of the, the Training Doctor? Okay. Well, the Training Doctor just celebrated its 29th anniversary. I founded wow. it in 1991, <laughs> but it's kind of on its third life at the moment. So when I started, I started doing uh, instructional design for the classroom, obviously. In 1991, we had nothing else. And I just posted something on LinkedIn today that said, when I started in training, if you wanted a colored overhead, you colored it in with a marker the night before you, <laughs> you gave your presentations. And I asked other people to contribute, you know, what was the state of the industry when you when you started as well so I started for designing in the classroom I skipped over e-learning entirely because I really don't believe in e-learning it's self-directed and people are not self-directed and if you don't have someone to ask questions of or to for thinking it's just until very recently just too linear it was very black and white. You followed it from beginning to end. You took a multiple choice test at the end to prove that you had done it. And that to me is not learning. That's just checking a box. So I skipped over e-learning when that got started in the mid to late 90s. And then early 2000s, synchronous online training became a thing with WebEx and Adobe Connect. And that to me was the best of both worlds because it was electronically distributed and people could be remote but it was also facilitator-led with live classes and accountabilities. And the thing that I think was best about it or is best about it is you're not going to ask somebody to come online for eight hours where you would send them to a classroom for eight hours. Mm. You, the most you could ask them to do online is maybe 90 minutes or two hours. So the beautiful part about learning in the synchronous environment is that I believe you can have better learning outcomes because now you have pauses between the learning events. And so people have time to reflect and come up with questions and come back to the next session with those questions. And I was always a very firm believer when I was designing for VILT, virtual instructor-led training, that they needed to do assignments in between the live sessions so that it was applied. They didn't just come to hear a lecture, which is not the way I design anyway. To me, if you're bringing people together, then they should be doing something together. If you were bringing them together to listen to you deliver something, then why didn't you just record it and send it to them? You know, now we're back to e-learning. So my online classes synchronously when I design them are very interactive and very collaborative. That's the beauty of having the synchronous um, platform. But then you, know, you need to go back on the job and do something <laughs> that applies that. And then again, the beautiful thing is you come back and you have experience and you have questions and you can build on that knowledge. So I honestly think that synchronous online training is the best way to go because when you put people in the classroom, you know, they say you only remember the first thing you were taught or the last thing you were taught. So now you have six or seven hours in between where it just became white noise. Um, and and e-learning, like I said earlier, is really more um, you know, checking a box that you, that you completed it from beginning to end. Um, so I did synchronous online training and a lot of what I did was take what used to exist in the classroom and move it to the online environment. And that was a very aha moment because what I would tell clients all the time is I cannot recreate this class online. I can get people to the same learning outcome, but they can't have the same experience that they would in the classroom because exactly. honestly, we waste a lot of time in the classroom. You know, if you put people into a breakout room, you say to them, okay, find two partners, you partner. It's like 10 minutes before you can get them to regroup. And, and 
anybody who's been in training and teaching knows that you'll give them instructions. And then as soon as you say, okay, now you have 20 minutes to work, then they raise their hand and they say, what are we supposed to be doing? (laughs) So a lot of wasted time in the classroom where the synchronous environment can go a lot faster. And also people can get bored more easily in the synchronous environment. So the design process is a lot faster. You don't want to ask them to do anything for more than a few minutes unless they're like say in a breakout room and doing something collaboratively because they'll just go into a zone. It was only so long you can ask somebody to, to look at a screen. So um, I spent 15 years designing synchronous training for clients, um, which came at a time because companies were becoming more global. And even if they weren't global, you know, sometimes I, I remember one client was in a large city and they had five different buildings in that city. So we just did synchronous training, even though they were in the same city, because it was just cumbersome to bring them all together to a central location. You could have just as good learning outcomes synchronously. So I did that for about 15 years. And then in 2015, I had an aha moment when you started to hear all of the rumblings about how the boomers were going to be out of the workforce come 2030. And I thought, you know what we really do poorly in learning and development and professional development is preparing future leaders. We typically wait until people are in a leadership role and then we give them leadership training, which I think is mean, (laughs) unfair, because now you're giving them functional responsibilities and asking them to change their behavior at the same time. Mm. So, and and, and we all know in training, the hardest thing to do is get someone to change their behavior through training. Mm. So if you want to change your behavior, it's a long process of thinking it through and having some experiences and reconsidering what your beliefs are, what your behaviors are. So you don't just put somebody through a training class and say, okay, now you know how to be a coach. Now you know how to give, you know, constructive feedback. They might get it conceptually, but there's no way that they're going to be good at it. And then I believe when push comes to shove, you know, what are people getting evaluated on, but their functional outcomes. So the leadership techniques are going to go out the window. So, I decided about five years ago what my legacy was going to be in the world of training and development was to develop leaders earlier on because when the boomers leave, and now I think that's going to happen a lot sooner because of the pandemic. I mean, companies are downsizing. American Airlines in the U.S. announced at the beginning of June that they were getting rid of a third of their management staff, British Petroleum about a week later that they were getting rid of 50% of their senior executive staff. So we're losing a lot of leadership even before 2030. And I was thinking 2030 is a short deadline to get people skilled in leadership to do yeah. it in 10 years is not, you know, typically what we do, as I said, is we wait till we promote somebody and train them. But the other side of that is people learn leadership through osmosis because they've been on the job for 15 or 20 or 25 years before they become a leader. And the millennials and the Gen Z don't have that, that time frame. So we really mm. need to speed up this leadership development process. So in 2015, I decided that, that that's my mission for the rest of my life. I, I am doing training and I'm doing development, but only in the in the realm of leadership. And my real focus is millennials and Gen Z. And I, I call it leadership from day one. My philosophy is if you start training people in leadership skills, the minute they walk in the door, then you don't have to ask them to change their behavior 10 or 15 years down the road. Meanwhile, the whole organization is going to benefit from that. Even if they don't become a leader, if you've given everyone leadership skills so that they are a better communicator, uh, uh, better problem solver, a better collaborator, the whole organization is going to benefit whether those people actually become leaders or not. They're going to be better at self-management, which mm-hmm. again, we 
now because of this pandemic, we sent everybody home to work. So they really do have to have self-management skills. But um, just the whole organization, you know, it's, a, it's the, the phrase of a rising tide lifts all boats. If everybody has better skills, which I'll label leadership skills, but basically are, are um, good work habits and good business skills, uh, the organization as a whole is going to do better. And then you don't have to worry about 10, 15 years from now when you promote somebody into a leadership role that they fail being a leader because you never prepared them to be a leader. How do you deal with um, companies that say, well, if we train them, they'll go and people don't stay in single companies for long periods of time. So we train them now with a 10 year view, but they go. They've been saying that for years. (laughs) I mean, I've been hearing that since I started a business 29 years ago. So my flippant answer is what Zig Ziglar, the um, um, motivational speaker used to say is, well, what if you don't train them and they stay? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but my, my uh, ROI argument and all of, of what I do is based on the return on investment for the, for the client organization. My ROI argument is if people know that they're getting professional, especially millennials, want professional development more than anything else. Money's great, flexibility is good, but what they say they want is professional development. And Gen Z is saying the same thing now as well. Now, Gen Z is just really just joined the workforce, so they don't have that much clout yet, but they're saying the exact same thing. So if people know that they're going to have professional development through your organization, they are going to stay loyal to you because they're moving along in their career. And I honestly believe that most people leave an organization because they feel stymied in their career and they want to learn something new and they're not getting it from you. So, all right, I guess I have to get a new job if I want to learn something new and and move my career along. So if you have a career path for people, I just just gave a webinar on this a week or so ago and I said, "What, what you need to do on day one is have them fill out their HR paperwork and give them their career path and their learning path Mm. for the next three or five years. If they know where they're going in your organization, they will stick with you. But but companies don't do that. And that's why they have the turnover. And the turnover is so expensive. It's ridiculous. I just read something like earlier this afternoon that said the average salary in the United States is $56,000. And if you were Uh, turnover in your company, if you had a thousand person company, I think it said with a 22% turnover, you'd be spending $18 million in turnover costs by the time you had to recruit and interview and hire and then the time on the job while they were getting learning about it. And and I don't know how things are have been working in the rest of the world. But what I'm seeing here in the US is they won't even post for a replacement until the first person is gone. So the loss to knowledge is ridiculous. They're just, there's a void. And like my, my husband's boss left his job in March. He just got a new one in June. Prior to that, the one that left in March, um, when he joined the organization two or three years ago, that position was op- open for nine months. Like, I don't know how companies either, how do they function without that position or they should be saying, why did we have this position to begin with if we've been humming along just fine without it? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You're saying about um, training. Um, I'd be really interested to hear your feedback about engagement levels, particularly with these these two generations, which are so important going forward. I think that engagement levels are really low in what we see as online learning or flipped learning um, and also attention spans. I think attention spans have got really short as well. How do you, how do you build that into your training? That is a conundrum. It really is. Um, engagement levels, I think, 
can be enhanced, again, by showing that you're investing in the employee. So the employee is going to stay vested with the organization if they know that you're contributing to their professional development. But um, attention levels is the tricky one because even though we have, or I've mentioned the millennials and the Gen Z, within the millennials, there's even a split between the older millennials and the younger millennials and how they view leadership and how they view um, their work uh, environment, like Gen Z doesn't believe that work is a place where you need to go or that you go to work in order to then enjoy your free time later, that work should be integrated with, with your life. It should fit your lifestyle. And the, and the biggest um, challenge at the moment is that Gen Z is a very video-driven generation. Yes. They, they grew up with YouTube. They um, will go to YouTube as a search engine to find out information um, so to be effective in instructing that group, you really need to go the video route. But but the older millennials don't have that um, you know, leaning. So that's tough if, if you're going to focus on those two generational cohorts in, in terms of your development. Um, you really do have to come up with multiple ways of offering that content. So... I've always been a, a big believer in blended learning anyway. I actually wrote a book on it a, a number of years ago um, because when it comes to synchronous training, the virtual instructor-led training, there's no way to pull that off without it being um, blended, right? As I said earlier, you go off and have a, an assignment, you come back and you debrief it and you have a, another lesson and you go off and it, so it, it, by default, good VILT is blended. So my approach is let's just Let's hit every methodology <laughs> and offer them some of everything. So there is some classroom. There is some video. I'm a big proponent of mentoring and coaching because mm. why make people reinvent the wheel, uh, hook them up with somebody who's more senior in the organization or not even senior. One of the things that I've seen re work really well is, is peer coaching or peer mentoring where you're aligned with somebody who's maybe only a year, two years ahead of you in their career. They're actually oftentimes a better coach because they have more of a, a recognition of what that younger colleague needs because they were just there themselves right. recently as opposed to somebody who might be 20 or 30 years further into their career. So I'm a big believer in having um, group assignments and activities, having a coach, the, the, a curriculum that I often propose is that we have coaching from the moment they start learning so that they get used to being coached. But at about year three in the learning process or the curriculum, they become coaches themselves to the younger um, folks who are, who are starting their learning so that they learn to be a coach as well, because that is honestly leadership of the future. And especially, again, you know, given this pandemic we've seen, you're not, you can't walk around. You can't have management by walking around anymore. So it is going to come to your conversational skills and your ability mm -hmm. to coach people to get the best work from them. And unfortunately, at least in the U.S., I see, I, I feel that coaching is um, still has a bad rap where, you know, we apply coaching to somebody who's got a problem we have to fix, as opposed to saying every professional athlete in the world has a coach or more than one, because every little percentage better is meaningful. That's the, uh, the philosophy we have to adopt. Everybody should have a coach because we're just helping you to become better and better and better. Yeah, that's really good. For people who can't see in their mind the age range of Gen Z, millennials, older millennials, what ages are they right now? 
those people? So the older millennials are just shy of 40 years old. They're in 38, 39. The younger millennials go down between, we'll say, you know, 20, uh, 32 to, to um, 24 or so. And then Gen Z is anywhere from age 7 to age 22 or 23 right now. So Gen Z is just getting into um, the workforce now. They just started graduating college in 2018. Another mm-hmm. interesting factoid about um, Gen Z is they are the most highly educated generation we've ever had in the workplace. They um, have the highest high school graduation rate of any previous generation. And then starting with the millennials, the millennials were the first group that was expected to go to college. Prior to that, it was kind of a, a luxury of, of a certain you know, economic class. But come the millennials, everybody was expected to go to college. And, and, um, and then with Gen Z, those two things are, are combined. So they have the most high school education and, and they're also um, pretty much all going to college as well. So they're a very ho- highly educated um, generation, which is a great starting point to say, well, let's just apply more learning. You've already been doing it. Right. So if someone's going to create an instructional video to hit this generation and serve them well and keep them attending and engaged, how long should that video be in terms of minutes or hours? Oh, so tough. Well, it certainly shouldn't be hours. <laughs> the thing that I, that I think is great about it is thanks to iPhones and similar, um, we don't have to have the heavy production costs right. that we did in the past when we wanted to make video or even e-learning. Because another reason why I didn't embrace e-learning is it was so prohibitively expensive, and we weren't even sure people were completing it. So why would I ask my clients to go through all that expense when we knew that you know, generally people don't finish their their self-directed learning? Um, so here's a here's a fine point on that video. If you're going to make it three minutes or less, which generally is an attention span, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm on LinkedIn and I'm scrolling and I see that somebody has a video, I will look and see how long it is before I'll decide if I'm going to pause. Right. And exactly. watch it. If it's over three minutes or so, I, I probably won't watch it. So if we want people to actually watch it beginning to end and get the full lesson, we probably can't go over three minutes. But the downside of that is in terms of learning, then I don't label that learning. I label that performance support. And I'm completely for performance support because I don't see a reason to send people to a training class and put knowledge in their heads that they may only use infrequently or it only applies in certain conditions. I mean, performance support is fabulous. I'm on the on the scene now. I have encountered this obstacle, what do I do next? Up pops my three-minute video and gives me the solution. That's fabulous, but that's not learning. So we do have to make that fine distinction. It's not learning because people won't absorb it. I mean, my husband (laughs) is addicted to his GPS, right? Even if we're going someplace where he's been five times before, he can't do it (laughs) because he's never paid attention to the environment. He pays attention the GPS and he pays attention to what it tells him to do next. And I mean, plenty of times I'm sitting next to him going, really? I mean, this is like the fourth time we've been here. Why, why do you have to plug that into the GPS? So that is a, a, a thing I'm concerned about. And I don't, not saying I have an answer to that at all. There's great benefits in having video, having it as a performance support tool. But when we really want people to learn, that's a more lengthy process where we have them exposed to the content numerous times in numerous ways and we give them the opportunity to practice it and we give them the opportunity to reflect on it and 
and ask for coaching or come back and process it in some way, that's learning. So mm. I guess I'm offering both then. That's great. Do you think that students these days, which is a huge generalization just even at the start of that question, do you think that many students these days um, don't want to read a book and can't pay attention? Yes. You don't even have to finish that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And that's because of all the social media distraction and everything like that. And people don't want to remember things because I can just Google it. So what's the point in memorizing all this content? Because I can find it out when I need it. And that's when I need it. So I don't need it now. So one of the things that I adamantly recommend, I'm not sure those two words go together, whenever I work with a new client is we have to have reading and discussion groups primarily to get over what you just stated, but there is neurological evidence that we learn better and absorb information better when reading it because of the way our eyes work and the ability to look ahead, look back, see the headings, say, wait a minute, I don't remember what this is referring to anymore and go back. People don't do that online. Um, years ago, I worked with a university that did a study of seventh graders and how they read. And this was probably 10 or more years ago, which is another reason why I became alarmed about the younger generations. They don't read for right. comprehension. They skim for factoids. So yeah. now that's just moved into the, I'll just go to Google or YouTube and skim for the factoids. What a lot of people don't re realize is that Google returns the most popular articles. So if you're Googling a term, and you see that first page and you go, oh, there's my answer. That's only because 100,000 other people clicked on that same item. If you go to pages three and five and 72, you're going to find entirely different information. So Google ranks things in terms of their popularity. There was an article in a magazine called The Atlantic many years ago. Uh, I'm going to say at least 10 years ago. That was called, is Google making us stupid? And the answer is yes, because mm -hmm. of that that reason because it brings back the most popular um, results. So I'm adamant that we have to have reading and discussion groups because people don't read and I need them to learn. If you're going to be an organizational leader, there's so much information coming at you. You have to know how to process and synthesize right. and then make the best decision that you can. And you, and one of the best ways to learn to do that is through reading because you're exposed to so many different ideas. Mm. The other thing that I'm, passionate about is that not only are we not teaching leadership, but in alignment with that, parallel to that, we're not teaching people to be business people. So what we've done in the last 20 years, and this I'm totally at, at fault or a part of the problem, is we train people in silos. So if you join, join an organization in, say, a finance role, and you're lucky enough to get professional development, which not every company offers, but if you do get professional development, I will guarantee you it will be in your field. It will be in finance. We will never say, why don't you take a class in HR? Why don't you take a class in sales? Why don't you find out how operations work? We never ask people to learn anything else in the organization. And I really feel come 2030, when the boomers leave and the people who've had the most on-the-job experience leave, we're going to be stuck with a large population of specialists and no right. generalists Nobody who knows how to run a company, and I honestly feel that a lot of companies are going to implode because people won't know how to run a company. And that's another reason why I'm adamant about the reading and discussion groups, because we have them read from business um, journals and, and publications so that they can understand the bigger picture of business. 
Right. Yeah, that's powerful. I would love to ask you just in the last couple of minutes we have for some one or two career points or advice experiences you would encourage aspiring leaders to put into practice. Well, my favorite is to um, join your professional association or a, a, another, you know, something in your community and volunteer and be actively volunteer. Get on the board, join the committees, because the leadership skills that you will learn through that will happen so much faster than they will in your professional life. Like if you're a graphic artist and you join you know, a local organization, I guarantee you, you'll become the vice president of marketing in three years, which will never happen you know, in your professional life. Um, and it also teaches you how to get along with other professionals. It allows you to expand your professional network by meeting people in the community who are also professionals. So there's a lot of pluses to spending some time volunteering your expertise to a professional or, or a civic organization because um, the, the, what it returns to you is, is astronomical in terms of the um, learning and, and professional development. Um, another thing I would recommend is um, getting, getting a mentor or you know, approaching someone and saying just, you know, can I have a conversation with you about how your career has progressed and the lessons that you've learned about you know, over the years and not necessarily ask them to be a mentor, but just get other people's input about how, how you should progress in your own career. Because again, we, people, people are raised to believe these days now that everything is linear and that's not how you're going to be a, a valuable contributor to the organization. If you only know how to do one thing. And I honestly think, you know, that's why so many people are getting laid off right now because there's so much redundancy. We have 12 people who do this one job but not one person who could do three jobs. And if we had one person who could do three jobs, they would stay with the organization because they can give value in various ways. But when we have 12 people who only know how to do one thing, we don't need 12 of them. So you'll, be, you'll, you'll help your own career if you become more of a generalist and less of a specialist. So ask to go to conferences when they start again, but they're online as well. You know, read about your industry, subscribe to your industry magazine and not, you know, so if you're in construction, but you're a finance person, you need to learn more about construction. You don't need to necessarily learn more about finance. You need to learn how your industry works. That's really great advice. Dr. Nanette, I want to thank you for your time late at night in your part of the world and giving your advice <laughs> and guidance and experiences. Really appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank you. I appreciate this too.